Welcome to SCD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. Um, good morning. If you're visiting with us, I want to give you a special shout out. Thanks for being here. Uh, it has been a very busy week. We always say it's busy around here. It has been a, a very busy week this week. Um, last night we had a huge rooted celebration. Was anybody here for that? Yep. Some of you guys are. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The rest of you guys. What's your deal? What are you guys doing? You're messing up life. Anyway, uh, so that was really fun. And then um, we, uh, of course, have baptisms today, and we're excited about that, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, But another thing that took place was this last week, we finished up a whole semester-long campaign for our... um, uh, building the CLC. So if you don't know what that is, that's the building across the way, and that's where all of our rooted groups, that's where all of our classes, everybody meets. And, um, and so we were raising money in order to finish that. And so our goal has been $5 million, and we're going to finish that building. And then we're also launching a school next fall. It's going to be kindergarten through sixth grade, and we're hoping to add some along the way. Um, but the first year, that's what we're hoping to do. And, uh, and we had a meeting about that on Monday night. Some of you guys were here. We, we did an information meeting to say, hey, here's how you can be a part of that school, either if you want to sign your student up or if you want to be employed there. And we had a couple hundred people show up for that on Monday night, which was really, really cool. And so uh, just in case you missed that and you weren't able to make it, we actually posted uh, about a 30-minute um, kind of uh, dialogue between uh, Nathan, who is going to be the head of school, and myself, and talking about why we're doing this and what it's going to look like. And so all that information is available at scgchurch.org forward slash school. All right, so scgchurch.org forward slash school. You can go on there, learn all you need to know about the school, and you can apply today. That's the big thing, is we are accepting applications for the school and for teachers and employees. And the uh, first, pe- first 50 people who do that are going to get a discount on the tuition there. So lots and lots of stuff happening there. And I am happy to announce that we have so far raised in pledges and donations over $4 million for our CLC. Yeah. Very excited. We know that there's still some folks out there who maybe didn't jump in and they would like to be involved. We're still, of course, going to be taking those pledges. You can put them in the, um, the offering boxes or you can just email us, let us know. And uh, we, we still have a little bit of a difference over the next couple of years to make up between that, what we've gotten and what we think it's going to take. And we're just trusting that God is going to uh, provide and that those who haven't jumped in yet are going to jump in. And uh, so we're moving f- forward with all of our projects and that's going to be taking place uh, very soon. So very excited about that. Lots of good stuff happening. All right. So this week, I don't know if it's uh, because we're kind of heading towards the holidays. It's been a long semester, but my kids have been worse than usual. Um, they have been fighting pretty much nonstop. And so this last week, we, we would put them in the car just so they will stop fighting. Like we can just put them in their seats and everybody can at least be isolated. And so here's what we started doing is uh, we did it three times this week is I I would pull this car over right now. I did. I pull this car over right now. And you each have to say something that you appreciate about your sibling. Yeah, it didn't go well at first. It was difficult. It was difficult at first. I'm like, Sienna, that is simply you observing what they're wearing. That does not count as something that you appreciate about them. But we're finally starting to get it. So that's what I want to do. We got to start off is uh, look at somebody who you came with, somebody that you know. Look them deep into their eyes and say, you know what? This is what I appreciate about you, all right? So go, tell somebody around you, go. Tell them what you appreciate. (laughs) 
I see some of you guys just looking forward. You're messing up. This is an opportunity. Come on now. <laughs> Husbands, this is like a freebie right here. Kids, this is the way to win your parents over. All right, so um, obviously one of the reasons why I had you guys do that is because this week is Thanksgiving week. And Thanksgiving week is a national holiday in which we have decided to stop as a nation. And the idea behind it is that we are supposed to stop and give thanks, the things that we're grateful for. Now, I don't know if that happens in your world or not. Maybe it's just about food and football. Um, but that's kind of the basic idea, is gratitude and thanksgiving. Now, and as I thought about this subject, um, gratitude and thanksgiving is far more complicated than I ever realized. It's a lot more difficult. There's multiple parts to gratitude and thanksgiving. And so I want to look at what Jesus has to say about it. And I think he's going to give us some insight. Now, if, if you have your Bibles, your Bible app, app we're going to be in Luke. And um, if you don't know much about the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the Gospels. And they're written about Jesus' life. They give us insight into who he was, his ministry, eventually his death and resurrection. This account, Luke, he goes and he interviews a bunch of eyewitnesses, people who knew Jesus, and he writes down the stories of what happened. So we're going to be in Luke 17, uh, 11. Here's what it says. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. So a little geography here is uh, Galilee. That is the region in which Jesus was raised in the town of Nazareth. And then you have Samaria. And those are the people who were seen as racial half-breeds. They were sort of uh, religious defectors. The Jews despised them. So they would usually avoid them. As he was going into a village... Ten men who had leprosy met him. Now, uh, you're probably familiar with leprosy. You may not have seen it in person unless you travel very much, uh, especially to third world countries. Bacterial infection. Uh, eventually, it, is, uh, it dulls the nerves and you lose feeling and, and oftentimes your extremities. And uh, thankfully, there's been a cure, but it's still um, in some places in the world. We can still see it. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. So the reason why they kept their distance was because according to Old Testament law, if you were uh, a person with leprosy, um, you couldn't go around people of society. You had to keep your distance. It was contagious, and they thought it was more contagious than it actually was, but their belief was that we can't be around people because we're unclean, and one of the reasons why we're unclean is because God has cursed us. We've done something wrong. Maybe our parents did something wrong, and so we have been given this disease. And so they, they know the law. They keep their distance, but apparently they'd heard of Jesus, he heard he's some kind of miracle worker, and so maybe he can help. And so they just give this last-ditch effort. They see him going by, Jesus, do something to help us. We're in, we're in a mess here. When he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. So what Jesus is asking them to do is take a leap of faith. Is he doesn't do what we've seen Jesus do in other places where maybe he goes and, and he lays hands on somebody and he says that they're healed. Or he spits in mud and he rubs it in their eyes. This is more like of a long distance healing. And so what he says to them is he says, I want you to go and I want you to see the priests. In order to be let back into society and given a clean bill of health, what they would have to do is they would have to go show themselves to the priests. If the priest said that somehow they've miraculously been cured then they would be allowed back into uh, society. And so he's asking them to, to trust him. That between here and seeing the priest, which could be a couple days travel, that a healing is going to take place. And they went, or as they went, they were cleansed. So the way that this scene kind of pops into my head is sort of like a Beauty and the Beast transformation. 
you know, where they, they experience all of a sudden this, this physical transformation. And I don't know if it was that dramatic or not. I don't know when it happened. I don't know how far along the journey they were on. But here's what it says. It says, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. So all of them are running into town. They're anxiously awaiting this healing. It starts to take place. And nine of them continue to run towards the priest. But one of them stops and goes, whoa, 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 hold on. This actually worked? I've got to go back and talk to Jesus about this. In fact, I've got to go thank him because this changes everything. And of course, it's the Samaritan, the one in which the Jews despised. 17, as Jesus, uh, Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? So this is Jesus being sarcastic. I love it. I love the sarcasm. He's kind of like, oh, no, did it not work? You know, I haven't, I've, this is kind of a long range thing for me, and I wasn't sure where the border for healing would be. Like 300 yards might be a little bit much for me, and so I wasn't, no, he's being sarcastic. Of course, were the other nine healed? Yes, they were healed. We know that they were healed. What he's doing is, he's pointing out their ingratitude. Where are they? Uh, they were healed, but you're the only one who came back. Here's what's strange about being on the receiving end of ingratitude is that when someone is ungrateful, you feel as if they've wronged you somehow. Like they've done something to offend you. But what's weird is they didn't do anything. That's actually why you're offended, is because they didn't do something that you thought that they should do. It's not their action, but their inaction that is offensive. And we've all been on the receiving end of people who are ungrateful. It can be something so simple. So this happens on a pretty regular basis these days. You probably experienced it too is maybe you're at a coffee shop. This is usually where it happens for me. And I open up the door for somebody who happens to be walking behind me. They're on their phone. They never look up. They never make eye contact. They never say thank you. They just walk on in. And I'm like, my Lord, welcome. Thank you. Come on in. I'm glad that I could be here at your service. (laughs) You know, it just, something wells up inside you in that moment in which I want to grab them by the back of the head and throw them out and say, you can open your own door, you know, just like, oh, how dare you? Why do I get so frustrated? Because what it feels like to me is that they're communicating that I am unimportant, that even though that it was a small gesture of holding the door, that it doesn't even deserve an acknowledgement, that they don't even, they're not even going to give me eye contact because I am so insignificant. Now, what causes this kind of ingratitude? Because it's not just in other people, it's in all of us. First thing I think is entitlement. Is we believe we deserve special treatment and opportunities. And so when we receive those things, we don't feel grateful because we were entitled to them all along. Why would I be grateful? This is what I pay them to do. See, when we got married, we both signed up for this. So why would I say thanks? They're my kids. I house them. I feed them. They owe their life to me. This is what they should be doing. Or if we don't get what we believe we deserve, we see ourselves as victims. If you've ever been to a restaurant and you've had what you believe to be really poor service, you just want to like, do you know who I am? My soda is empty. Can you believe that? I'm parched. Where is my food? How dare you be so short with me? I'm middle management. How, you know, like what... Why? I bet that if you were to monitor your emotions this next week and you find yourself complaining or getting frustrated, 
It will be because you feel like you're entitled to something, that you deserve something that you're not currently getting. So many of our relational um, issues can be traced back to entitlement. I think this is true on a societal level as well. Think about something like consumer debt. For the most part, consumer debt is I believe that I deserve something even though I can't afford it. Theft. Theft is I believe that I should have something even though I haven't earned it. The problem with entitlement is it is all about the self. It's all about me. It's my wants, my needs. It's my rights. And if you're ever going to have healthy relationships, family, even a healthy society, if everybody comes in with the attitude of it's me first, what's going to end up happening is that relationship, that family, that society is going to end up breaking down. Because relationships are not built on everybody getting what they want. It's built on hard work, sacrifice, and looking out for the whole, not the individual. Which I don't think is a coincidence as we as a society struggle with entitlement. And everybody is fighting for their rights, but few people are fighting for their responsibilities. We're going to see breakdown. That was due for this service. I wish I had said that the last two services. That was really good, you guys. Somebody write that down. No? All right. All right. Forget it. All right. Uh, second thing is we believe that we have somehow earned what we have is when we look at our lives and, and maybe it's, um, it's our house and it's our cars or even it's our family and our relationships, our accomplishments, the American way is I did it my way. I earned this. I pulled myself up by the bootstraps. It is all about me. But is it really? Like just by sitting in this room, you are in the top 10% of income and wealth in the world. And so here's my question. Do you believe that you are smarter, more creative, and harder working than 90% of humanity? Like you're that good? Okay, maybe you think you're that good. You're like, you don't know me. <laughs> I'm, pretty, I'm pretty good, you know? All right, well, let me throw this at you. Let's say that you are somehow in the top 10%. How much of that was determined upon you or just dependent upon where you were born? And the natural gifts and abilities and resources and opportunities that you were given. The family that you may have, have grown up in. If you were to be truthful about everything that you've done, you may be a very good steward of what you've been given, but you haven't earned it. So much of what you have has simply been given to you. I think the correct way to look at this is, is both of these have the same thing in common. Both of them have pride at the center. That we have this overinflated view of ourselves, that somehow I'm entitled to something or that I have earned something. That's all about me, that's all about my pride. But the Christian understands that I am neither entitled nor have I earned, but I have been endowed with what I have. I have. So that word endowed, probably the first place that your mind goes is the Declaration of Independence. And you know what's interesting? In the Declaration of Independence, the writers recognized that even our most fundamental rights, right to freedom, those things are not earned or are we entitled to them. Those are things that have been given to us, endowed by our creator. See, they realize that everything that we have is not our own. It's something that's been given to us. Jesus says, 18, has no one returned to give? Now, Jesus starts teaching us something about gratitude and thanksgiving. First thing we, we learn is gratitude has two parts. The first part is this emotion. I feel something. I feel the emotion of gratitude. It happens in my heart. I realize that I've been given a gift that I don't deserve, and so it 
It's, it brings a sense of gratitude. But then there's a second part. It's the outward expression of that gratitude. See here he says, has no one returned to give? He doesn't just say feel it in your heart. He says that something has to be done. Like you have to express this gratitude. And so if you've ever been accused of being ungrateful in your life, you probably were offended at first. Because you would say to them, how do you know how I feel? How do you know if I feel grateful or not? You don't know my heart. And what they're saying is, I may not know your heart, but I know your actions, and your actions don't say you're a grateful person. You haven't expressed the gratitude, so how would I know how you feel? See, gratitude begins as an emotion, but it ends as an expression, and we know this to be true. As parents, this is like 101 parenting. So in a few weeks, you're going to have Christmas, and maybe you'll have friends, or you'll have family, extended family, everybody's going to come in, and you're going to have, you know, their aunts, and their uncles, and their cousins, and And if you have young kids especially, they're going to start opening up those presents, and they're going to open up one present, and they're going to look at their aunt and uncle and go, have you never met a child before? What in, why would you think that I would want this? And what will you say to them? What do you say? You'll say, why did you get me this? No, no, no. What you're going to say is, you're going to say, thank you, may I have the receipt? That's what you're going to say. Because we understand that it can't just be something that you feel, it's got to be something that you express. Andy Stanley says this, he says, unexpressed gratitude is seen as ingratitude. You may feel it in your heart, but unless you express it to somebody else, it's actually going to feel like ingratitude to them. They know that you should be saying, you should be doing something to show that you're grateful, but if you don't, what they're going to assume is that you're ungrateful. So if we imagine that we were to track down the nine lepers and we were to sit down with them and go, how could you be so ungrateful? I mean, your life just got turned upside down. You you got everything back. You got your family, you got your friends, your job, you're back in society, your health. Jesus changed everything in that moment for you. How could you be so ungrateful? You know what their response probably would be? What are you talking about? I feel incredibly grateful. I mean, my whole life has changed. I'm going to be telling people for the rest of my life about Jesus and what he has done for me. I am so grateful. But you didn't express it. So it's kind of been seen as you being ungrateful. See, the the reason why they didn't go back, I'm assuming, is because they were just busy with their blessings. I got to go see the priest. I got to go see my kids. I got to go see my spouse. I got to go see, I have so many things to do. They get busy with their blessings. I think the same is true of you and I. If I were to sit with you and ask you, well, give me some things that you're grateful for, you could probably just continue on and on and on with a list. And I would say, now, how have you expressed your gratitude? And you would scratch your head and go, I felt it in my heart. I said, well, but did you express it to anybody, to the people around you, to God? No? Well, I think you missed a step. Gratitude should always end in giving. Now, this is going to sound super simple. Um, and I, I'm a little embarrassed, I never realized this, but if you think about the word thanksgiving, it's two words. First word is thanks. That's gratitude. And the second is giving. We're giving our thanks. It's in the word right there. You have to do two things. You have to feel the gratitude, and you have to express your gratitude in giving, because gratitude always ends with giving. Now, if you're a Christian, not a Christian, you're not sure what you believe, you got dragged in here today, 
I think that everybody would agree gratitude is a good thing. Studies show that it has incredible health benefits, relational benefits. Nobody would walk out of here going, nah, man, ungratitude. Being ungrateful, that's the way to be, <laughs> you know? That's what's really going to have me have a successful life. No one would say that. Where the question starts to arise is, who are you grateful to? Like, ultimately, who are you giving thanks to? Uh, on one level, we should give thanks to the people who have loved us, who have invested in us, our spouses, our kids, our parents, our friends, our family, and we should express our gratitude to them. But who do we give ultimate thanks and gratitude to? Like, who do I thank for my spouse? Who do I thank for my kids? So last night, after service, I was getting the kids ready for bed. My youngest, he is, uh, as you've heard, a maniac. And so I'm trying to track him around the house and finally get a hold of him. And I'm like, all right, put your jam jams on, dude. And he's just giggling and having the best time. And, and if, you, if you're a parent, you've experienced these moments where you just go, oh, this is so amazing. Now they're fleeting. They're few and far between, but they're there, you know, and you just look at them in the eyes and you just go, you're awesome. You know, you're just amazing. In that moment, who do you think? I go, Amy, thank you for birthing these children. Amazing job. Love them. She goes, you played a part too, buddy. <laughs> no, that doesn't, what? No. That doesn't make any sense. Who do I think? If there is no God, there is no one to think. It's all just this impersonal, inevitable, random process that is not deserving of our gratitude. It's hollow. It's all just chance. To express or to have gratitude is simply irrational. But if there is a God who has orchestrated everything in my life, in those moments, I ultimately owe him all of my gratitude and thanks. So that's why Jesus asked this. He says, has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? What he's saying that the nine we're guilty of is cosmic ingratitude. Is they ultimately did not bring back their praise to the one who deserves it. Tim Keller says, sin is cosmic ingratitude. It gives you the delusion that you have the ability to conduct and hold your life together. I have pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I have created this life. I deserve what I have. He says that is sin. Because what it does is, it assumes that you're in control. That somehow you have made this happen. And you have neglected the one who actually did. And when you do this, when you fail to express gratitude, the same thing is true in your marriages and in your other relationships. If you fail to express your gratitude, it will cause separation in that relationship. I don't know of any healthy marriage that can go for very long without there being an expression of gratitude. Same is true with our relationship with God. If we continue to fail to express our gratitude or even acknowledge where we uh, have been given these incredible gifts and who gave them to us, there will be separation. Tim Keller says that's what sin is. Sin is us not giving God any of the honor and any of the glory and any of the praise that he deserves. Why is this so hard for us? Like, why is it so hard for the human heart to just simply acknowledge that God is deserving of all of our, our praise? Because there's something within us that absolutely hates the idea that we have to bow down to God. This is the sin of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, it wasn't about a tree, it wasn't about a fruit, no, 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 no. It was about 
a rebellion. It was about, I don't want your authority in my life. I want to be the ultimate authority. I don't want your control. I want to be in control. And even the good gifts that you have given me, I will take them and I will run and I will do with them what I please because there's something within the human heart that wants to be the ultimate authority. And all of our problems, evil, suffering, misery, cruelty, all of that is due to our cosmic ingratitude, our failure to stop and acknowledge the one who has given us so much. Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This phrase, made you well, is so-so. His word is translated as saved, and so it could really say your faith has saved you. Here's what the one did that the rest didn't do, is he began to connect the dots. He began to connect the dots because he was thinking, this Jesus didn't have to heal me. He didn't have to change everything. He didn't have to turn everything upside down. Why would he do this? What benefit is it for Jesus to heal me? And we can ask the same question. What benefit is it for God to give me such an incredible life, to give me life itself, to create us? What benefit is it to God? And the answer is, there is no benefit to him. It is simply grace. Grace is this undeserved, unmerited favor. And so when we begin to understand that God did this not for himself, but he did it for us, our gratitude eventually becomes a pointer to receiving his grace. Oh, this is all for my benefit, not yours? We begin to understand how salvation can be something that we're not entitled to, nor have we earned, but it is simply by God's grace that he offers it to us. Gratitude begin, becomes a means of grace. This story is actually just a big picture of humanity. Like, it's a very interesting story, and the miracles are fascinating, but what was really happening here is we're getting just a, a, a snapshot of what happens every single day throughout human history, is God gives people good gifts. So I remember being 16. It's kind of embarrassing, but I asked my dad this one time. I said, Dad, why would God give Britney Spears so much talent? <laughs> anyway, uh, pick your favorite person, insert their name here, but... His answer was this. He said, Jesus says that God sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Meaning whether you believe in God or not, he will bless you. That he has given you good gifts. The question is not, is God good and has God been good to me? The question is, what will I do with those gifts that I've been given? And here, the nine, they said, I will take the gifts, but I want nothing to do with the giver. Romans 1.21 says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. Thanks. I'll take the blessings. I'll take what you have given me. I'll take all of that. But I want nothing to do with you. We see this again in the story of the prodigal son. But then there are a few who are like the one. Where they connect the gift to the giver. Where they connect their gratitude to God's grace. And this is what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian means that we look at all the incredible gifts that we have been given. Even the most simple, fundamental things, like the fact that we're alive today. And we start to take that gratitude and we connect it to God's grace. And then what does gratitude always end in? Giving. I love that last song because it talked about gratitude. And what do I have? What gift can I bring to a king? My life. And that's what I give is because of the incredible gratitude I have. And I realize that you have done it not for any benefit of yours, but simply because of your grace, then I give you my life. And that's what it means to be a Christian. 
And so this weekend we have a really cool opportunity is we get to witness people who have made that decision. See, in the scriptures, it talks about us giving our lives over to Christ. And, and once we have given our lives over to Christ, we've made that commitment. The next step is that we're supposed to tell the world about what we've done. And the way that we do that is through baptism. Baptism is symbolic. And when we get in the water, what it's saying is we're dead to our old selves. We're made new in Christ and our sins are washed away and we want everybody to know it. And so for the last 10 weeks, there's been people who have gone through rooted and they've been wrestling with faith and what it looks like to be a Christian and if they want to make that commitment. And there's been lots of folks that have. Other people have been on that journey for a while now. But all of them have ended in this place in which they want to declare that they now have made a commitment to follow Christ. I want you to hear a little bit about their stories. Watch this. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Or you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.